You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Testudo Times Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Spoko, alongside co-editors Lauren Roche, Sam Ostry. The Maryland men's basketball season has ended, everybody. We have officially returned from Indianapolis. We had a a very long trip, uh, a couple of long drives back and forth, but we survived. And here we are, two-week break after our last podcast, and this is it. The end of the Maryland's basketball season is, has already happened, and 10th seed Maryland fell to number seven seed Michigan State, 76-72 to 72 in the second round of the Big Ten tournament last Thursday. Finally shut the door on Maryland's season, and it finishes with a 15-17 and 17 overall record. Now, I know it's hard to kind of put this into like an intro to the podcast, but if we could just summarize this season, you know, in, in a couple of takes, is, is this going to be the going to be looked at as one of the, the most chaotic seasons in Maryland men's basketball history? Because because if you just look back on the season, you talk about a team that started off as a, a preseason top 25 uh, team and then they lose Mark Turgeon, they part ways. And then they finish under 500 for the first time in a, in a very long time and a quick postseason bounce. So, Justin, what are your guys' thoughts on if there will ever be, ever be a, a season as chaotic as this one? Yeah, I mean, no, there won't be. Chaotic is the perfect way to put it because, first off, like you said, it's very rare and unprecedented when a coach just after a few games before conference play even starts, he just decides to leave in the middle of the season. It almost never happens, but it happened this year. They had other coaching changes. They had um, some injuries here and there. Like, it was just a chaotic season. They didn't even come close to meeting the expectations. As we know, you could classify it as a depressing season, a sad season for a lot of Maryland fans because it was their worst season. I don't think it was the worst team, but their record was the worst that they've had since 1992 and 93. That is a long, long, long time ago. So when you talk about is that will there ever be a season like this again, Maryland fans are certainly hoping absolutely not you would expect that they're not going to have as bad of a season because the tradition of Maryland basketball is to continue to, is to win and win at a high level. We'll see if the next head coach, whoever that is, which we'll talk, talk about later, we'll see if that person can, can change the, this negative trajectory that this program is on. But it, it was, it was depressed, depressing season, you could say. Yeah, it doesn't seem likely something like this could happen again simply because it was the perfect storm of events like the expectations being so high ahead of the season and like really thinking about like covering that media day like that first day back in person covering men's basketball and kind of listening to Turgeon talk about the team and the players talk about the team and the preseason rankings and how they weren't you know they weren't really thinking about that necessarily but obviously they were there and kind of thinking about how we looked at the Big Ten ahead of the season versus how we're looking at it now is obviously very different. And so I think just like looking at high expectations and then getting off to that harder start, it's very, was a challenging start. And then Turgeon and the program parting ways was another added level. And, you know, before Turgeon had left, um, James Graham had entered the transfer portal. And then during the season, injuries here, injuries there, dealing with new transfers. Like it was just the perfect storm for Maryland in every sense of the word. And like, ahead of the season, it was looking like this was kind of the perfect puzzle for Maryland to maybe try and figure things out. And it was like, um, Turgeon was bringing in Danny Manning, who, I mean, 
we knew very little about in terms of what he could bring to Maryland then. And it's clear he's made probably even a larger impact than he would have ever imagined here in one year. And, you know, when he was being brought in, it was kind of looked at like, how's he going to help some of these bigger men develop, like bringing in Q from outside of, um, from Georgetown and, you know, having Julian come in, like his focus, I think was primarily supposed to be on them and just bringing in people like Fats and Q who were supposed to make pretty big impacts. And Fats definitely um, had his moments of shining and all of that, but it's just very interesting to kind of look at the reason I don't think something like this could happen again is the expectations were so high and the outcome just was completely different than what this program has seen in over 20 years. So I think that there will be like bumps in the road, of course, in like the next couple decades or the next few years while Maryland's working things out. But it's hard to imagine that like this exact kind of like, just like high expectations, create wild things happening in between and then really just falling short of that could happen again. It really seems unfathomable. Right. It was just a very deflating season overall. But the evolution of head coach Danny Man- interim head coach Danny Manning was a pretty good one, I'd say. I think after that, I don't think you can really count that first loss against Northwestern that Danny Manning had. But, you know, moving after that, he had a couple big wins uh, for Maryland, leading them to victories. And then in the, in the last half of the season, the last six or seven games or so, Maryland started to play a little closer to that top 25 team that it was originally – uh, tagged to be and they may have lost in the first round of the Big Ten tournament but, but you, people can't forget that Michigan State was originally a, a really highly ranked team for a lot of the season at Maryland when the first time that Maryland played them back on February 1st when they won 65 to 63 um, it was it was just a two-point game and Michigan State was the 13th ranked team in the nation so the, Michigan State has really had a, a long season as well but Maryland was facing a tough team in that first round, in that second round of the Big Ten tournament. And I guess that's something that we can dive into now. So everyone knows the second round of the Big Ten tournament didn't go in Maryland's way, a 76-72 to loss in Indianapolis. Maryland kept it close in the first half, but Michigan State shot 7 for 11 from 3 in the opening 20 minutes. It led 43-34 to going to the second half. And then in the second half, there was a point where Maryland just seemed down and out of the game, down 57 to 30, down 57 to 37 at one point. So a 20-point deficit after a really difficult season, but Maryland started to fight its way back. It went down by 12 at one point with around five minutes left, and then the turnovers started to pile on for the Spartans. Let's just talk about the final four or so minutes because the last four minutes were some of the most exciting moments of the season for Maryland, if not the most exciting just because of what was happening. Let's, uh, let's share our opinions on what we saw in the final five minutes or well, so. First, I just what you mentioned, Danny Manning, and yeah. I do think it is worth mentioning him again that he does deserve a ton of credit. He was put in a very difficult position. He was not expecting to be a head coach this year, comes in, and, you know, like he has a horrible head coaching record. He's not going to get another head coaching job for the foreseeable future, and I'm sure Maryland already notified him that he will not be the guy. It wasn't a surprise to him or anyone, I'm sure but he still deserves a ton of credit for coming in in difficult situation and just having this team play really hard. I mean, there was points of their season this year, especially that Iowa loss where they gave up 110 points at home. They lost by 23 points. It seemed like the the entire team was deflated. Season was over. They had nothing to play for. And they came back from that and continued to fight, continued to play incredibly hard. I think Danny Mayne deserves credit for that. Like, obviously, 
the results weren't great in the end, but that's not all his fault. He had to implement an entirely, not entirely new, but he tried to implement a somewhat new style of play, a new system in the middle of the season, which is very difficult. But I do, but he does deserve credit for getting this team to fight, to continue to buy in really until the very last second of their season. But so now in terms of those last four minutes against Michigan State, um, you know, it was the same theme that we saw against Michigan State all year. And it was weird that this kept happening when Maryland was down big early and they fought their way back into the game to give themselves a chance to give themselves a chance late. The first time Maryland played Michigan State in College Park, Maryland was was down like 15 in the second half. And they it was a tie game with nine seconds left. And then obviously Michigan State won with us uh, layup with just a couple seconds left. The second time they played, it was the same result. Maryland was down like 22, I think. And then the last few minutes, they cut it to within like four or five. But then obviously ended up losing by a few points. And the same thing here. They were down 20 points against Michigan State. And they were down nine points with two minutes left, which seemed like an impossible task to make, an impossible margin to make up for. And they just continued to fight really into the very last second, had implemented a strong press, they created some turnovers, they crashed the boards well. And they had the, they were down two with the ball with a few seconds left. Obviously, Fats Russell uh, shoots a three for the win. He misses it. Uh, Michigan State gets the rebound. Maryland fouls. Maryland ends up losing by four. But to just be down nine with two set, with with two minutes left, and then having an opportunity to win the game on a last second shot, it was an incredible fight. But it was just the same story we saw with Michigan State all year when they went down early and they fought fought until the very end, but couldn't complete the comeback. Yeah, this this last game, it was kind of fitting almost that it went the way that it did and it's how Maryland went out. I think that there was a point in the season where Maryland had really only led at halftime, like one time or something like that. There was They were kind of digging themselves into this hole. That, uh, Maryland was digging itself into this hole and kind of just no matter how hard they fought, weren't able to kind of climb out of it. And quite honestly, it's a bit of a microcosm for what their season was. I mean, dealing with the early setbacks, like – they were always kind of behind after that. And it was the emotional toll that that must have taken on them. And we spoke about that a few months ago, but like the emotional toll that that takes on you is not something that heals overnight. And so they were always kind of playing from behind in that sense. And this Michigan state game really just continued to embody that. And they did not stop fighting. And I think that they felt that was as much as they probably would have liked to win. I'm sure that they were very proud of the way that they kind of um, ended that game being down, what was it, like 20 points at one point in that game and being able to really just claw their way back against a, a tough Michigan State team and, you know, a team that historically does pretty well in March. So just kind of looking at that, I think that those four minutes were really exciting to watch as a person who's covered the team all season and just kept things like just really shows you kind of the fight and the drive that this team has and like the fact that they didn't want to fold in those minutes really just is very telling of themselves and also as we mentioned before of Danny Manning and the rest of the coaching staff um, his constant encouragement and kind of push for these guys to you know string together what they could with this season really was apparent and those final four minutes really did embody that. Yeah I mean they were crazy last couple minutes Michigan State just kept on turning the ball over Maryland's defense surrounding them. And like Sam said, it came down to uh, a shot by Fats Russell that just didn't fall. And then Michigan State ended the game on free throws. So Maryland's four-point loss, if my math is correct, then I think that is the eighth 
loss for Maryland that was within six points or less. So that's, that's a lot of close losses for Maryland, a tough ending to its season. So naturally, we're going to look towards Maryland's top two scorers to see how they did in this game. And it's Fats Russell and Eric Ayala, typically. And they both combined for the most points in this game. Fats Russell, 20 points on 6 of 15 shooting. Eric Ayala, 17 points on 5 for 17 shooting. However, the three-point shooting was not going Ayala's way. Two for 10 from the field. We've seen this at times this season where either Ayala's on or off. It's not, I, there really hasn't been many in-between games for him. And for Fats Russell, 6 for 15. He had two blocks, two steals. Six assists and seven rebounds as well. Which of the two did you think gave Maryland a, a better chance to win that game against Michigan State? And just as a whole, did Russell and Ayala do enough? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think they did enough. I think they've done enough throughout the entire stretch of the season. Those two f- have been phenomenal in the, last, in the last like seven or eight games or so, even when Ayala was injured for a little bit there. Dante Scott deserves some credit too. He injured himself. Um, I think it was, I believe it was his ankle. He went out of the game for a little bit, but he came back and he was clearly not hundred percent and limping, but it was last game of the season. So he wasn't, he wasn't going to sit out and he finished with 15 points and a couple big shots uh, down the stretch. So he, he deserves credit too. You know, that it's really just a shame that Fats Russell isn't playing in March and his season, which is certainly not the season he thought he was going to have by transferring to Maryland. He obviously probably wouldn't have came if he, if he thought this would be the finish that they had, but he was phenomenal every step of the way. He played so hard until the final whistle. That comeback late in the game was in large part due to Fats Russell. I mean, he was he was the best player for Maryland over the last 10 games of the season. He was the engine of the team. He was the fight of the team. It's just a shame that he's not playing in March because he's spectacular to watch. And it, it, it's just sad that his college career is over because he was even Rhode Island. I think it took him a little bit of time to get adjusted to the physical um, style of play of the Big Ten. But once he did, he, he was one of the best point guards in, in, in the entire league so he was phenomenal and there's not, not enough good things you can say about his performance down the stretch but obviously I think he did enough for for sure but Maryland as a whole just didn't because of that huge deficit they found themselves in yeah I don't disagree at all he most definitely did enough and has re has shown flashes of it all season but I I truly feel since that Purdue game he has he completely broke out and really closed out his season his collegiate career on a high note and I think that despite maybe the team not being able to kind of pull things together collectively to find those wins there at the end to maybe give Maryland some sort of miraculous shot in March to be playing right now um quite honestly like he really strung together the pieces for himself and he's he's been very candid about what a long career he's had I mean he's played for a long time he was at Rhode Island for a long time and dealt with a number of injuries and Again, Sam, you mentioned it. We saw flashes of it a little bit this season, but definitely dealt with some bigger injuries at Rhode Island. And so I think for him, just kind of this realization settling in that this isn't just the end of the season for him, but this is a definitive end to his college career. There's no other, there's no other route for him to take in terms of being at college and playing in college. That I think like he really just stepped up. And I think that against Michigan State, that was against Michigan State every time, but against Michigan State this final time, it was completely apparent and it made sense why he was the player who they elected to go for, for that last shot, even if it didn't necessarily come out the way that they wanted. And I think that just the way that he's developed into a big tennis player has been really exciting and fun to watch or was really exciting and fun to watch. And I think just he's continued to make 
like a big 10 impact against other teams and for Maryland this season. And, you know, um, this game against Michigan state in the big 10 tournament was really no exception. Yeah. I think that Russell and Ayala gave it all they had in that game against Michigan state. It's really hard to fault them considering they're playing 30. Well, Ayala played 39 minutes. Russell played 35, four out of Maryland's five starting players played at least 34 minutes. It's just – it was an exhausting game for them probably. It's been a very long season. It's not too much of a long shot to say that they look kind of tired in the first part of this game. They just – it's Michigan State was just getting a, a, a lot of shots on them, and Maryland seemed to get a little worn out. But then a, a last five-minute run there was all they needed to get back in the game, and Russell and I led the way in that late push. And I think Xavier Green also deserves a little mention. Four steals, a team high. He was the fourth out of four Terps to get at least one steal. Uh, Russell and Hart each had two. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's a difficult game to, to measure just by itself, I, I would say. But it was a really good effort from Maryland overall. And I think that Russell and Nyala did, even, even though the shooting wasn't necessarily there, I think they did as much as they basically could have. And then, so looking at the front court now, which was a completely different story in the last six to 10 games in the regular season, because Danny Manning, even though he has preached getting in the bonus and bench points and uh, not bench points, paint points, Maryland is, was rolling with a small ball lineup for the majority of that game against Michigan state. Wahab and Julian Reese played for a combined, a combined 25 minutes. Uh, Q played for just 11 Julian Reese, just 14 minutes. Neither of them had one point, and they finished on 0 for 5 shooting with Julian Reese missing four of those. If you just look at that game alone, was you have to be a little disappointed with what Wahab and Reese weren't able to do in that game, right? Was that more of just the matchup that Maryland was playing, or have Reese and Wahab just completely – did they just fall out of the picture this season? Yeah, well, I mean, Wahab, against any quality bigs, he really was just never a threat the entire season. And that was evident against Michigan State, too. Um, you know, he, he, he struggled. Like, he just did simply did not meet the expectations that I think the coaches expected him to when he was, when he was coming over, and certainly not that the fans had. He didn't have a good season at all. Against Big Ten competition, he's not really a quality center that you can play out there, and that was proven in the Big Ten tournament against Michigan State when he might have had his worst game. Um, Julian Reese, you know, he, he, he had a very much a freshman season. You saw a lot of raw talent, a lot of potential there. I think he really could – I think he really could make a huge G, uh, leap to a sophomore year. One of the big things he needs to work on is fouling less and a lot less because for him to stay on the floor, he cannot be in consistent foul trouble, which he was all year, and that was the case against Michigan State. Um, but I, I do think next year, like Julian Reese should be the number one option as a big. He can stretch out and shoot the floor. He's physical down there. Um, he has a ton of grit, you can tell. But in this game, the bigs were just not a factor. Michigan State was dominating the paint, and Maryland had no answers. And they, they tried to counter late in the game on the perimeter because they had no answers in the paint. Yeah, and I think just as Maryland's um, um, backcourt continued to get stronger throughout this last stretch of games, it's not so much that Q and Julian quite fell off the map, but like Maryland really needed to find points in the paint and get into the bonus early to try and stay close with teams early on. And 
quickly once Fats and Eric started clicking at the same time and Fats really started breaking out into his own and putting up the numbers he was putting up, they just didn't need to go with that route as much. And they kind of figured things out. Understandably, like Marilyn has gotten beat many times this season in the paint and gotten beat many times by like Julian and Q directly getting beat by some of these big men before and eventually either fouling out or whatever the case may be, kind of like what you touched upon, Sam. But I think realistically, Julian, I agree, has a lot of potential. It's tricky for Q because I think that he, there were some games in non-conference play, including, I mean, that game against Virginia Tech, he had a good performance, even though Maryland didn't win that game. Um, He had a good performance in that game. I think he had like 18 or something points in that. And so he, again, shows like mini flashes of things, but was never quite able to put together the pieces where has a little or a lot less time to develop than someone like Julian, who really has kind of this world ahead of him in terms of what he can do and the impact he can make. And if he continues to play at Maryland, kind of like what he can continue to do and grow in this team and this role. And so I just think that a lot of kind of maybe not quite like the downhill skid, but like, you know, just kind of the difference in usage for Q and Julian kind of went down with Maryland's backcourt really doing the heavy lifting. I mean, Eric and Fats had multiple nights where they combined for majority of the team's points, more than half of the team's points. And of course you need the impact from everywhere. And it would have been very helpful for Maryland had Q and Julian be able to make kind of a larger impact, especially in that last game when they really couldn't get anything going. But at the end there, that small ball lineup was working for them. And once Maryland started pressing, like the game totally changed for them. So I think it's, it's challenging to say that, you know, they didn't make an impact because they definitely did. But at the same time, there's a lot more of an impact. I think both of them could have made and could make in the future on a team going forward. Yeah. I think it's obvious that Reese is starting to become the more talented center and Caduce Wahab is beginning to fall out of the picture. It seems like, but I just wanted to point out one thing that I, that I noticed the plus minus, there are only two players from Maryland that were a positive plus minus in that Michigan state game. One of them was Julian Reese and the other was Xavier green. When Xavier green was on the court, Maryland was a plus 15. I mean, I didn't, I didn't even know that, but I, I was just looking at that and that, that was a crazy stat, but Julian Reese was the only other, a player on Maryland to be in the plus minus and with Wahab on the court, Maryland was a minus 13. So it, it just comes to show maybe the, the impact that, that Reese is having on the team. And then if we're looking at the future of what this team is going to look like with so many question marks moving forward, is, is it reasonable to say that Caduce Wahab is not going to be a relevant player next year? It's, it's really tough. I mean, it's going to be the judgment of the next coach. Um, you know, like where would he, if he transfers, like where would he transfer to? He's he played high school basketball in Virginia. He played college basketball at um, um, George, excuse me, Georgetown before he transferred to Maryland. So he's always been in the area. So like where, would, where else would he transfer to? Maybe to a lower conference, but like how much lower? Like I don't, I don't think he's a Big Ten cent, starting center for a quality team. He's just not. So where else would he transfer to in the area? Maybe he would leave the area. But it's really going to be up to the judgment of the coach um, of who they would want. But there's no way any coach can come in and say, yeah, uh, Kudus Wahab should be starting over Julian Reese next year as a sophomore. There's no way anyone can make that judgment. It's just it would be the most asinine statement ever. So, so, if, so if he wants to play and play a lot of minutes, 
like he probably would have to transfer unless some coach comes in and really thinks they can work with him and develop him into some really quality big, which I don't really see happening. So yeah, to be honest, I don't really think we're going to be seeing a lot of uh, Kudus Wahab in the future in Maryland men's basketball. Yeah, it's interesting because I can't help but think, you know, you wonder if there's a better coach for Q than Danny Manning. It feels like that would have been a really perfect match, quite honestly. And I wonder had Danny Manning kind of stayed in his role as assistant coach, had, would he be able to develop these players more? I think he made it very clear when he um, had to transition into this new role that prior to it, he was really pre- predominantly working with um the taller guys on the team who play, you know, forward center, whatever the case may be. So I think it's hard to tell um, what more Q can do in college, just because Danny Manning really, really seems to like him as a, as a player. I mean, it's, it's clear he gave Q a lot of opportunities and a lot of chances. And given there's not so much to work with between him and Julian, because both of them had their ups and downs, but I think, it's challenging to try and envision a better place for him in the sense of than the position he was in this season with Danny Manning. Perhaps if Danny Manning had stayed assistant coach, he would have been able to flourish more and there would have been more dedication to being able to, you know, he would have had more time to dedicate specifically to Q and Julian like he was doing at the beginning of the season. But it's hard. It's hard to imagine him being able to go somewhere else and find a lot of success given that the door was kind of open for him to do that here. And you know, there's probably a number of factors that attribute to maybe him not being able to do what he probably wanted to do, but it's hard to envision him doing something greater and bigger elsewhere without the presence of Danny Manning or someone similar to that. Yeah, you make a good point. I mean, you would figure that it is the best situation for Kudus Wahab to thrive, but I, I mean, here we are. It was just not a good season for Wahab when you look at meeting, meeting his original expectations and his expectations coming in from way, way back when he transferred to the program, when him and Fats Russell came in, everybody was saying this Maryland team is finally complete. The, the missing piece of the puzzle from last year was a capable starting center. Maryland got its center, but it just, it clearly wasn't. I think the missing piece of the puzzle were the two players that left the program, Daryl Morcell and Aaron Wiggins. So they clearly meant a lot more to this program than many people could have guessed, I would say, especially more sell. And if you just look at Caduce Wahab and Julian Reese, Julian Reese is definitely the answer moving forward. I think there's no other way to, to look at it. Uh, Wahab may have averaged more points this season. Uh, he averaged, I'm looking at it now, 7.7 to Julian Reese's 5.7. But Julian Reese is going to be expected to take a huge leap next year, and it wouldn't be surprising to see him in the starting lineup every single game that he can, no matter who the head coach is. But yeah, it will depend on the head coach and there's going to be a lot of changes for Maryland next season. And we could start getting into some of those changes. And there was actually a bit of news recently that kind of sparked all the change that is probably likely to come. And Marcus Dockery is the first player to enter the transfer portal for Maryland men's basketball after the, the 15, 17 season. What what is Dockery's departure, uh, reported departure, mean for this team moving forward? Before we get into that, I just I just want to go back to something that you had said about Daryl Morsell and Aaron Wiggins being the missing piece because I do think that that's really important and like yes was kind of talked to, we kind of talked about it throughout the season but not fully and I think a big thing is that it's just like 
what Maryland's defense lacked without Daryl Morsell. And I was looking the other day at, you know, where Maryland kind of finished in the Big Ten standings. And in terms of defense, Maryland finished this season 12th in the Big Ten standings, um, whereas last season they finished um, a little bit higher. They finished all the way up at three. So going from, you know, being in the top three in the conference in terms of defense, again, Maryland also had a little bit of a rocky season, ended up making the tournament, though, and going on, a, you know, winning one of those games. So I just do think that it's really important to kind of point out that like even though last year the missing pieces were I guess technically what Q and Fats were supposed to bring to the team it's so clear I completely agree with you that with the and yes with the loss of Aaron Wiggins as well but I think that defensive piece is so huge and like um, Maryland had Hakeem Hart who kind of broke into a little bit of a stronger defender throughout the season and um, X who was supposed to come in and kind of be a defender as well but like the loss of Daryl Marcel I think spoke volume like really ricocheted throughout the season and Yes, was definitely talked about, and people talked about how they missed him, but I think it was just so clear looking at where Maryland's defense kind of finished last year. I think that they were allowing a little over 65 points a game this season, over 70 points a game. So it's just, it definitely makes a big impact. And you think about all these games that Maryland was so close in, and not per se like, oh, what if they had Daryl Morsell, but had maybe there been a player whose specialty was kind of defense in the same way that his was. It's very interesting to think about the trajectory of this team. And not, and not just the defense, his leadership. I mean, Maryland could, used an on, could have used an on-court leader this year or a player leader this year more than ever before. Not that they didn't have one, but Darryl Morcell was the leader of that team. He was Everyone respected him greatly, and that, that really could have been used because of the tumultuous season that they had this year. And also, you know, Eric Ayala wasn't, you know, he hadn't really been the sole leader before. He hadn't really been the, the number one primary option on offense, and it took him a while to adjust that. I'm not sure he ever did. So if you have Daryl Morsell, who had a good offensive year, surprisingly, and Aaron Wiggins, who obviously was the best offensive player on the team last year, or two years ago when he was his final year at Maryland, you know, if you have that primary option and Eric Ayala doesn't have to be that guy, he, he may have a better season too. So yeah, obviously if those two guys or one of them even was there, it's a very different ride, but they weren't. So we move on. Uh, Marcus Docker, you talked about, and the transfer portal. Um, well, he posted it, so it wasn't just reported. He posted it that he was transferring. But before we get into the conversation about that, it is important to understand that just because you enter the transfer portal doesn't necessarily mean you're leaving. It means you're exploring your options and you're seeing what's out there and you could come back to Maryland. We've seen that a lot. Like Kofi Cockburn last year, he entered the transfer portal to explore options, and then he ended up back at Illinois. So I do expect Dockery to leave, and I think we're going to see a lot of names enter the transfer portal because when you have a coaching change in the, in the offseason, that's just what inevitably happens. You don't know if that coach wants you. No one on the staff is the one who recruited you and brought you to this school. So it's just difficult to know And when the new coach is announced. And I don't really think people may enter the transfer portal, but no one's really going to make their decision until a new coach is announced. And when that coach is announced, they're going to sit down and evaluate the roster. Like, who do I want to keep? And who do I want to let transfer? And, and what guys do I want to bring in? What role would, what role will I have? That's what happens. A lot, we're going to see a lot of guys on this roster transfer and start, start with Marcus Doherty. Um, you know, the three guys that we've talked about a lot that I expect to stay are Dante Scott, Hakeem Hart, and Julian Reese, just because I think any coach can come in. And you know you're not going to get the best transfer in the world. You obviously want to see what transfers you can get. But I think any coach would look at Dante Scott, Hakeem Hart, and Julian Reese and see, like, these – these can be three important pieces to the puzzle. And then I can build around this roster with transfers that I'm going to get. 
other guys, you know, like Cornish, who's still on the team, maybe, maybe he'll transfer, who was a freshman and got literally zero time this year. So you, 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 you really don't know. It's really impossible to tell. And these guys don't even know what they're thinking, really, until a new coach is announced. And that new coach has his plans with the roster. That's what I was going to say. It's hard to speculate simply because no matter what they do, they're going to be playing for a new coach next season. And so it's interesting. I think we will see a lot more movement, obviously, after the next head coach is announced simply because it's just a matter of whether they think they can, you know, whether to go through a complete new adjustment in addition to a new team, but also like a new school, a new place living, all of that, that comes along with being a transfer student at a university. But then also, you know, they're going to be playing for somebody new here. It's hard to kind of envision who's going to stay, who's going to go, and also like what's going through their mind and what they want. But I think, you know, someone like Julian, it's a little easier to envision him staying just because of all the ties he has to the area and with his sister being such a big impact player on this women's team and just the how vocal him, his sister, and his mother all are about being in the Baltimore area and having those connections. But other than that, like I think – I can't necessarily say that any of the anyone else transferring out would come as a surprise. I think it's going to be interesting to kind of see what happens and all of that will kind of play out in the next few months, obviously, and even probably in the next few weeks and will be interesting to see. Yeah, I think some, uh, none of the, some of the non-top guys to look at that are going to be interesting cases to see if they stay or leave, Ian Martinez and obviously Wahab. I think both of those players are going to be Interesting to monitor because they could provide some of Maryland's depth next year. It'll just be there's going to be a lot of shifting pieces likely, and it'll just be interesting to see everything. But I think I agree with Sam that it's going to be all about the head coach decision, and that's something that we could get into our next segment, which uh, I'm going to dub Sam. What are your inside sources telling you? So Sam, if if you had to take a stab at the top two to three guys that Maryland. Maryland is looking at that Maryland should look at who, who would you go towards and why well I don't have necessarily have inside sources at all but but I will say oh, that I, I, I made this segment assuming you had inside sources you're on speculation I think it's between clearly between two guys and it's Kevin Willard and Mike Bray and Kevin Willard was the name immediately that popped up for everyone when Turgeon was fired. And it's amazing. He's made it this far into, into the process where I think it's between him and Mike Bray of Notre Dame. And, you know, I honestly believe that that, that announcement could have came this morning for um, Mike Bray if they had lost last night, obviously they won last night, but I don't necessarily think Damon Evans he's even has an idea between those two guys. He probably is leaning one way or the other. He's probably listening to people, but I think it might depend on their tournament success. Like if Kevin Willard makes a deep run, um, like he may better, he may have a better chance of getting the job. Mike Bray is 62 years old and just made his first tournament in six years. You know, he was, he's out of his prime. There's no question about that. He was considered a great coach, but he hasn't been a great coach or recruiter in the past few years, but obviously he's back in tournament now, a huge win over, over Rutgers last night on, on St. Pat- Patrick's day as the clock hit 12. Um, but so, like, but he also, like, this was his first, this is his first tournament in a long time. So those are the two names that I think it's going to come down to. I have no idea who's the front runner. I have no idea who's in the lead. Of course, there could be a surprise name. But I think it's between Mike Bray from Notre Dame and Kevin Willard from Seton Hall. And the one thing I say, I will say about it is, neither of those two guys are going to bring excitement to this program. The one thing we've learned about this search is that Maryland is, was not and is not as good of a job as everyone thought it was when, the, when it became open. 
people are not clamoring to come to Maryland, Maryland basketball. Maybe it's because they don't have a practice facility. Damon Evans made some public comments last week that he's pretty sure that they're going to, they're going to have the funding for that and get it underway because they're one of the only big five schools that doesn't have a practice facility and practices in the gym that they play in or the building that they play in. So I, I don't know exactly what it is, but Maryland is no one's clamoring to come to Maryland. You know, you're between Kevin Willard that a lot of fans I think would be angry about because they see him, see him as a similar Turgeon took him a while to turn that Seton Hall program around, but he did. He hasn't had a lot of March success though. Maybe that'll change this year. I believe they're, they're eight seed or nine seed. Um, but and then Mike Bray, who's out of his prime. This isn't the Mike Bray that went to back-to-back Elite Eights earlier, like eight, nine years ago. So it's there's not a lot of excitement for this job right now. And whoever is the hire, it's going to be very split. Like that was the thing with Turgeon coming in. It was very split with Turgeon among the fan base of, oh, this was a good hire. He's going to be the great guy or he's going to be a disaster and embarrassment. And you saw that split throughout his entire 10 years here of people arguing, he's doing a great job. He's doing a great job. He should stay. No, he's horrible. He should be fired. I think you're going to get a similar situation with that, um, whether it's either of these two guys, Mike Bray or Kevin Wood. Of course, there could be a, a, a surprise name that comes in, into the fray, but, but right now it's between those two guys. Yeah, I would say another interesting name that, that I wrote down was Travis Steele of Xavier. I think that he's another interesting uh, option, especially considering that Xavier uh, had a collapse on the way out to, to looking outside of the, the NCAA tournament. So a lot of, a lot of, Good options for Maryland. Uh, I agree with you that it's definitely not as a high-profile spot as many people originally thought it would be when Turgeon and the program parted ways back in uh, November. So it'll be. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Travis Steele. Like you talk about not excitement, right? It's, 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 if you're if you're hiring a coach that just was fired because he couldn't have success in the Big East, I mean, yeah, like that would be that would cause an absolute uproar, maybe even protest outside right. of Damon Evans' office. So I'm, say, I'm saying that Maryland's probably going to pick a guy with the least amount of, like, margin for error. They're going to look to not make a mistake when they make a head coach hiring. Because the yeah, and, and at this point, I think you're taking a risk with either of those two guys. I don't think right. – I think you, you're, you're taking a risk. There's no surefire name out there that's going to – everyone's going to agree on, wow, great hire. Like, it would have yeah. been with Bruce Pearl or maybe Ed Cooley or maybe even Andy Enfield, all those guys who signed big extensions because they had successful years. So I don't think you're going to get that. And the other thing with, with Mike Bray is, you know, Damon Evans, he hasn't made a lot of public comments throughout this process, but the ones he has made, he said oh, time and time again that he wants a coach that's going to be here for a long time. If you're hiring Mike Bray, you're not getting that at all. I mean, Mike Bray, 62 years old, like I said, he's clearly past his prime. Who knows how long he, he might want to coach again, but it can't be more than like, a decade like obviously if you can get a coach for a decade that's they would probably have a good run of success but it's probably gonna be a lot less than that so if Damon Evans really means that when he says um when he says he wants to coach for a long time I, I don't necessarily think that, that 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 Mike Bray would be the answer for that but maybe he doesn't really maybe he just wants Mike Bray to come in and surround himself with good assistants that could potentially take it over when 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 he's done I think that's a very likely solution to what Maryland's going to do. I think going outside of the box is not something that is going to happen here. I think they're going to make a very, a very business-like decision. They're going to bring in a guy with, a, you know, just a, a typical resume, and it's it's going to be what it's going to be. And no matter who it is, Maryland fans are going to yell at whoever it is anyway. So it, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. But 
move. I guess we can get into a little, uh, a bit of fun at the at the end of the podcast. Last couple minutes here, uh, we we can give some predictions on the NCAA tournament and just our thoughts on Maryland's MVP of the 2021-2022 season. And I think before we go into the predictions, I guess we can go into Maryland's MVP. I think, and it's okay if we have the same answers because I'm sure we will. And my answer is going to be Fats Russell. I think he was the the heart and soul of this team this year. And surprisingly, he, became, he quickly became a fan favorite with his effort. Uh, both ends of the floor, especially in the last half of the season, he was a huge impact in the defensive end. Offensively, he led, ended up leading Maryland in scoring with 15.1 points. And Danny Manning really let him loose, and he really excelled in that role. So I think he was the clear MVP choice over anyone else on this team. Yeah, not a lot to say about that. I don't really know how you disagree. It's clearly Fats Russell. And, you know, like you said, he's the heart and soul of the team. He was the best player on the team down the stretch of the season. And when it was all said and done, he was the best player for the entire season. Um, You know, it's just a shame. And I, I know Maryland fans desperately wish that he was here at Maryland for more than one year. But he's no more college eligibility, so it won't be. But he was certainly the best player on this team this year and awesome to watch. Yeah, I don't disagree at all. I think, though, if I look like Fats is most definitely the MVP. But when I look at a player who I think is really, really developed into a leader and developed into their role, maybe regardless of stats, I think Dante Scott did a really good job at just kind of adapting to the situation and growing into more of a leadership role. This was talked about before the season, and I think it was pretty evident during the season. Every single time, <laughs> he committed a foul or whatever the case would be, you know, he's clapping, he has a smile on his face, he's going over to ask the rest what he did wrong. There's just like, there was an energy about him this season that I really liked watching. And I think um, Fats Russell's without a doubt was Maryland's, um, you know, most valuable player stats wise. And he had a lot of heart. And so like all both of you said, but I do think Dante was somebody who was really interesting to kind of watch develop in a leadership sense during the season. And to close off the podcast, let's give our prediction for the Big Ten team that is going to go furthest in the NCAA tournament and also our NCAA tournament winners. And I will happily go first, and I may be ridiculed for this. However, I think Purdue is going to be the NCAA tournament champion. I think the Big Ten ends their drought of championships. I think Purdue is a matchup nightmare for any team. I do not like them defensively at all. I am just hoping that they're – astonishing front court can carry them across any matchup. And so they're going to be my double answer. I have Purdue going all the way and I have them obviously being the last big 10 team standing. Um, I didn't even know we were doing this, but <laughs> we're doing this. Um, I would say it's going to be from that bottom right corner. I believe it's the Midwest region. It's going to be either Iowa or Wisconsin. Um, I think one of those two teams is going to go to the final four. I'm not sure which one, but talk about big 10 teams that can make the deepest run. I think it's going to be that Iowa or Wisconsin team in one bracket. I have Wisconsin and I don't think I have Iowa in any of the brackets, but I do think they could make that run. It's obviously a trendy pick right now. So I'm going to say Wisconsin. I said it before the year. They really, they struggled down the stretch of the season. Obviously that last loss to Nebraska in the regular season, not a great big 10 tournament appearance, but I still think this Wisconsin team, when they get hot, um, they can compete with anyone. I think they have the potential to make a deep run as a three seed. My overall March Madness predictions, I in the final four, I have um, – I don't have it in front of me, but I have Gonzaga, I have Villanova, I have Wisconsin, I have Kentucky, and I believe we're going to have a Kentucky-Wisconsin championship, and Kentucky oh is God. the national champion this year. Wisconsin, are you kidding? I, <laughs> are you kidding? I have – Purdue. 
<laughs> you're right. I, I am going to say, though, I'm, I have Wisconsin out in the first round against Colgate. It's my biggest upset. Of I them. think Colgate's a good matchup for them. I don't think it's going to be. I think it's going to be a good game. I don't think it's going to be an upset. Oh, okay. I think the eight-point spread is a little a little concerning if you're a Wisconsin fan. So, I, Lauren, you're up. Um, I don't agree that Purdue is going to win the national championship, but I do think Purdue will go the furthest out of Big Ten teams. We've seen them – we saw them play in person. We saw kind of – you look at the Purdue-Maryland game, not that it's a comparison to any way that Purdue played this season, but, like, you know, Maryland came close to winning that game, but they didn't win that game, and Purdue kind of has this tendency to stick with it and plays hard, and I really like watching them, and Jaden Ivey is so much fun to watch, and they really just have the pieces. Trevion Williams is great. I think that they're a good team. Um, winning it all, I mean, I don't know. I'll say Gonzaga. Boring, but I'll say it. And I do disagree with you, Sam. I don't think Wisconsin is going to go too, too far. I just don't necessarily see it happening. Maybe I'm completely wrong, um, which is obviously possible. I do think Iowa will play well, like you were mentioning, though. And, like, they could be kind of a team to watch. And, yeah. All right. That's it. It all starts today. March Madness is here. We got our predictions in. And we'll see what happens. So that'll do it for this episode of the Testudo Times podcast. Thank you so much for listening and happy March.